Hello, and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men connect and communicate. All right, welcome back to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. We have Rusty here. Rusty's a health coach, and he helps musicians look, feel, and perform their best all the time. Rusty is a full-time musician singing and playing bass in the Southern California kick-ass country band Redneck Rodeo. He was a binge-eating, heavy-drinking man's man, and now he helps others learn to find. Now he helps others learn to help find their healthiest life while performing their best. Rusty, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So yeah, we have um, a bunch of discussion here. We were just talking about one of my points in. You know, a turning point for me is, you know, kind of uh, when I was a lot younger and where I'm at today, especially with like rage and kind of fighting. But I know for you, you have a little bit of, um, you know, a different kind of background in there. And, you know, I said before, you know, I was really interested whenever you kind of talked about your high school days and you kind of talked about, you know, not really feeling emotion. Um, And, you know, that really struck kind of like a big conversation for us. Um, Do you want to give us a little insight as to kind of like, you know, what you were going through and, you know, where you're at right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so I never thought of myself as like an emotional person in the first place, but then, uh, there's about a, I want to say it was like a month to six weeks somewhere in there during freshman year of high school. I think it was maybe freshman or sophomore year. I would have been freshman year. So I had my dog died that I would, you know, had since I was a baby. And then there was like five other family friends that had died in that same month. And I didn't know how to process any of that stuff really. Um, And it didn't, I don't know. I just remember saying at one point, like, Oh no, I just don't have an emotion, any emotions anymore. And it seemed like the logical thing to do to just not have them. And uh, it was really weird. And I, I vividly remember that specific instance. And then just for years, not a whole lot. Like I never went really deep in depression or anything. Like when I got, if I got dumped by a girl then it wouldn't be pumped obviously, but like yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't go way down. Uh, I wouldn't have like super insanely happy moments either. I was just generally like from zero to like kind of happy, but never dipped into like really not too much crap either. But yeah. So, so it's been interesting dealing with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So at the time that you lost your dog and and friends of the family, you said some friends of the family died. I'm, did you see around you people who were reacting in a different way, who were showing a lot of of emotion? That's a good question. Um, I remember not going to most of the funerals, and I remember just not really talking about it that much. Um, and it wasn't not like ever it everyone that died, they weren't super close to us or anything. I just remember it happening and just thinking, wow, there's a lot of death around, you know, like they were close enough that I knew all of them, but not like intimately necessarily, but it was just suddenly death and mom and dad are going to funerals, like sometimes twice a day right now. And I was pissed off that the dog died and I was having the best day ever the day that my dog died. Like I was coming home literally thinking, man, nothing can ruin my day. And then I get home and dad says like, well, we had to put him to sleep. Fuck me, man. So, sorry, I don't know if we can cuss on here. Yeah. uh, All right, cool. Um, But, uh, so, and. So that was really your first experience actually being aware that, that people die. I mean, where, this is where it, 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 was that the first time really you were aware that people do die? I mean, was that part of the reason that it was so 
Yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of always like, I knew that it was going to happen. Um, but I think that I'd only experienced death in the family maybe once before that. Um, that was probably the only time I've seen my dad cry was that one time. Uh, and so we're just, we hadn't been an emotional family and we never really discussed emotions or how to process them or deal with them. And I don't know if anybody in our family knows how to deal with emotions. Where, where did you grow up? Just to give a little sense of place. Um, I was born in Illinois and I was out there, uh, till I was seven. Then we moved out here to Huntington beach, California. Ah, nice place to so, be. It is a nice place to be. It's oh, gorgeous. Yeah. So, so um, was there a time later on then where, where was there like some epiphany moment where you suddenly realized, Hey, I'm, I, I thought I wasn't a very emotional person, but suddenly you, you felt very strong emotions that made you kind of understand a little bit better where, where you had been before. I, yeah, actually I remember now. So over the last couple of years, I've been, really working on myself a lot more and just, you know, trying to figure out what the hell am I doing with my life. And, uh, so that obviously starts to bring up some things little by little. And then last year, about almost a year ago, exactly. We had our pet lizard, Francisco, me and my wife here. And, uh, he died last year and I was like holding him as he died and it was super sad. And it's like that just opened the floodgates to every like, death and trauma that I had experienced. And I just like cried. Oh my God. It was in the moment I cried a bunch. And then like three days later, I went to walk out the front door and went to say bye to Francisco. Cause I always did that. And I had to slam the door shut and I just bawled for like another 15 minutes. It was like, just opened up everything. How, how long does so, a live? If I can ask. Him. Yeah. It's totally, uh, I, he was almost 10 years old. So oh, wow. Yeah. So and my wife got him like right around when we started dating. So he'd just been around forever for, uh, for the both of us. Um, at least as far as like with our relationship. So I'm sure there's some extra emotions tied into that as well. But once that happened, it was suddenly I was starting to feel more in general. So it's like that opened up some sort of blockage is what it felt like. And then I, the weird thing here, Adam, you'll appreciate this. I didn't, really feel too many emotions often unless I was watching the Pokemon cartoon shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever like something really loving would happen or like, a, you know, something like mildly tragic goes on. I'm like, Oh my God, like I'd get a lump in my throat and all that. Like no other times. Hey, those Pokemon movies, they can be real tear jerkers sometimes, you know? Oh I mean, yeah. They really come. <laughs> the first time I almost cried in a movie was during the, when the Pokemon movie first came out back in like, you know, 2000 or whatever yeah. it was. Um, it's pretty wild because I mean I have to say I've had, I my youth was exactly the opposite. It was a mm. complete and total roller coaster ride of emotion. Everybody in my family was emotional. It was it was just you know part of the you know loud fun Italian Bronx family. There was a lot of screaming. There was a lot of it was great. It was loving and supportive, but it was also like a ro total roller coaster ride. And so I, I find it always just a little bit uh, maybe not jarring, but. It's like seeing the opposite when someone says, wow, there was not a lot of that emotion going around. Do you think, in looking back, do you think there should have been? Were there times where you now look back and think, hey, why didn't we think about this? Why didn't we discuss this? Is there any way that, that you've looked back at and gone, wow, that, that actually maybe wasn't the best way that we handled something? Yeah. Um, actually, just last week, I was talking with one of our coaches about it. And 
I, it was really the first time I thought like, oh, wow, maybe like, obviously I don't have the tools to learn or to process emotions properly or have them right now. And I'm working on gaining those. And then I said, well, wait, if I don't have them, then do my parents have them? Does my brother have any of these tools? Would do, does any, do any of us have these ideas on what emotions are and how the hell to work through anything? And that was really the first time was like, yeah, last week that I thought, oh shit. I bet you I'm not alone here. Wow. It was, it was a, a, a big insight for me to kind of, I don't know, have more empathy for everybody around me thinking, oh, you know what? I bet you that pretty much all of us don't know what the fuck to do. You know? Adam, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, that kind of struck me too, because I mean, I know my brother had it just as bad as I did growing up. I mean, if not worse, um, he, I mean, he had a pretty tough time in, in high school as well. So I know that, you know, I, later in life, you know, I've, I've definitely gained a lot more mindset and, you know, a lot of new perspective. And I'm wondering if he's come across that too. And if he's kind of changed a lot, um, since we've grown apart a little bit more, you know, we don't talk as, as deep as much, but you know, that's definitely something I'm, I'm thinking about doing, you know, right now, Thanksgiving's right around the corner when we're recording this. So probably whenever we talk, I just might kind of try to slip that in there. Um, when we kind of have like our, you know, what quarterly calls for like big holidays and stuff like that. So yeah, that's, that's big rusty. That's, that's a big eye opening moment. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, um, one of the things I think as you get older, since I'm, I've got at least 20 on, on you guys, if not more, is um, you, there is that sort of threshold in life where you go from being, where you can go from being sort of an observer to an initiator in a way. You know, it's when you're a kid, when you're young, parents have such epic monumental presences in our lives. And, um, you know, later you get a chance to sort of say, hey, I'm an adult now. I'm always encouraging friends when they say, Oh my God, my, I'm going to visit my parents. They drive me crazy. And I'm like, well, A, you know, you're an adult now. You're not living under their roof. So maybe you should let go a little bit. But also, uh, at what point would it be constructive to say, to come home and tell your parents, hey, I'd come home more if you actually talked to me, if we could discuss things, if I weren't on eggshells because you're, uh, I feel that if I say anything meaningful, you're just going to fly off the handle. And, and, it's probably the hardest conversation to have. And I guess the, the million dollar question would be, is what you feel inside um, something that needs to be addressed with your parents? Um, you know, some, I, I occasionally, I think sometimes every family has this crazy trauma that they're trying to work through. Every once in a while, I found a friend who would just say, I actually don't have that. I'm, I'm boring. I don't have that trauma. And I wonder, are, are they in denial or, was I just the person who had like two helpings of trauma? You know, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I guess my question to you would be, you know, my invitation to you maybe would be maybe, maybe to, to engage your parents and just sort of say, Hey, I'm, I love you guys. Can I talk about something with you? Maybe it's not even a particular thing. Maybe even invite them and say, Hey, maybe there's something on your minds. Hey, I, I'm doing okay. Maybe you want to rely on me. Maybe, Etc. Just for you to go from that sort of being more in the that child role and being more in the two adults role, 
uh, right. that you can have uh, that you can hopefully share to a certain degree with parents. They'll always be your parents, Lord knows. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway. Yeah, and that's actually, I've kind of started to see that, you know, just, you know, every once in a while you get that insight of like, oh, I'm more of an adult or, oh, wow, I'm closer, more like a peer to my parents than I ever was before. Um, and really, I mean, this year has been a massive change in, like for me internally, and I'm starting to see that more and more. And then because of that, I am having some more conversations and my mom will call me just asking for help or just saying, hey, I'm freaking out. Can you calm me down or things like that? So finally this year, some of that is happening, but um, it definitely isn't a normal thing for anybody in our family to honestly, to have that deep of conversations much at all. Um, unless we're all drinking, then it's really easy. <laughs> but it's, um, and that's, yeah, we've all, like, like you said in my little bio, like I was a heavy drinker. It was just what we did once I was old enough to drink with everybody. It was just, it's what family does. We all sit around and drink together and that's how we kind of communicate and release. And the only real deep conversations I'd had for a really long time were only while we were drinking. You're talking like heavy drinking to the point of like, wow, you kind of don't remember it the next day or not quite that far? Um, normally when I was with my family, we would have the meaningful conversations before it got there. Uh, and then normally my brother and I would go out with someone and then we'd go, I mean, at that point we'd go nuts. But, um, and plus uh, as a musician, I was, there was always, you know, there was always free booze around. So I was just drinking heavily because of so much free alcohol. And to like kind of calm my anxiety and, you know, self-medicate a little bit. So, so was there a moment though, when this approach just, uh, you, you realized it wasn't going to work and, and you needed to change it, that something happened, um, where you said, Hey, I really can't, I really shouldn't drink so much. I mean, is that, did that moment ha actually happen? Yeah. Um, it came from when my wife and I first kind of did our first, uh, nutritional overhaul to figure out what's going on with nutrition. We went through the whole 30 as our first program and you eliminate booze for 30 days as part of it, like as well as all these other things. Um, and I was like, Whoa, I can wake up without a hangover. <laughs> this is weird. Um, so on a personal level, I realized that alcohol didn't work as well for me, but as far as on a communication level, I still thought of it as a, honestly a nifty tool to help get conversations going. Um, whether it's with me and my brother, me and my dad, or me and my friends is just always easier when we're drinking. And uh, it's just always been that way. Hmm. We're, it'd be, honestly, I think it comes back to none of us willing to be very vulnerable in general. And what, where do you think that that, is that, do you think just an, a cultural inheritance, man, men not wanting to be vulnerable? Yeah, um, I see it from, I don't know. Yeah, it's just always been a thing that, I mean, I don't remember my dad talking about emotions ever. My mom would talk about it sometimes when it's just me and her. Um, but in general, it just kind of seemed like you don't talk about emotions. So that's just kind of how I, I feel like I grew up between my family and then in school and I was in Boy Scouts and that was a blast and one of the most like formative things for me but we wouldn't talk about anything emotional unless we were in like our small group of three or four like peers kind of thing within that. So you got the two of us here. I'm wondering if there's a, anything particularly you want to talk, talk about 
with us. I mean, in, with, given what you just said about your own emotions and what you feel, anything like, hey, guys, actually, I kind of want to discuss this at this moment. Is there any, anything there? <laughs> you don't have, to you don't have anything off the top of your head. I got kind of something to share here. Uh, when you said, you know, it was hard for you to talk about, like, you know, your emotions with your parents. Um, I actually, you know, talked to my mom recently, a, a couple months ago, um, about that, that very thing. And, you know, we were just eating lunch one day and I was in for a doctor's appointment and she kind of asked what I was getting looked at because, you know, everything seemed fine. And I was like, you know, yeah, I've been seeing a therapist for, for over a year now, been trying a, a bunch of different methods to kind of like calm my anxiety, stuff like that. Um, especially with like having the baby and, you know, my wife being pregnant and that was, you know, I was very anxious on there and, you know, tried this, tried that. And I just wasn't getting the results I wanted. And I was getting more and more frustrated with the work that I was doing. And, you know, she, the last session, she's like, Adam, you know, I, I, have you ever thought that, that you could be depressed at all? And I was just like, you know, I mean, I've definitely had those thoughts and I've, I've had, you know, those feelings. I don't know if I would say I'm a quote unquote depressed person, but she's like, I think you exhibit a lot of these signs. So whenever I was talking to my mom, we were eating lunch. She's like, Hey, why are you here? I was like, I'm actually going to ask my doctor for some medication. Um, so I can kind of course correct myself. You know, I've, I've tried a bunch of different things and they haven't been working and I want to be there for my family. I want to be there for my wife and I want to be there for my kid. And I'm tired of having, you know, these more wild emotions. So, you know, one big thing that I'm going to do here is I'm going to start, you know, asking for some medication for it. So that really changed my mom and I's relationship quite a bit. I felt a complete shift as to how we were talking before and how we talk now. And it's very different. And that was a really hard conversation for me to have with her. But ultimately, it turned out for the best. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's so tough to open up like that to, I don't know, especially to a parent because, you know, they work their hardest on trying to raise you the best they could. Yeah. But I mean, she was, she was really grateful about it. And she said, Hey, I've been an advocate of, you know, get the help that you need. So if this is something that you think you need, go for it. And I'm here to support you. So it was really nice to have a little bit of that encouragement. And, you know, I hope if you do have that conversation, you'll get that same response of, Hey, like I'm in your corner and, you know, I want to go through this with you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, luckily, well, one of the, the upsides to me, not having a lot of the emotions is I never felt like I got that far down. I mean, I'm, I, I think I, I know that I'd still was, it was like a long, slow slope down for a while. And it didn't, I didn't realize it until my wife and I did that whole 30. Uh, it was like three years ago now, because right in the middle of that, it was like, suddenly we both were the happiest we'd ever been in our lives. Oh, wow. And suddenly it's like, that honestly was probably the biggest turning point in my life, physically and emotionally. Was, um, was it partly not having the alcohol and also partly realizing that you had taken action? Yeah, there was, there was honestly a bunch of stuff that played into it. Um, I like to think of it on like a hardware side and a software side. So like hardware, you know, actually changing the way that my body is working. Um, you know, so getting rid of the the shit, you know, the alcohol and all these other things that were causing inflammation, um, which were then down-regulating like uh, neurotransmitters. 
So we know that serotonin is like 70, 75 to 90% of it's made in your gut, depending on which studies you look at. So if you're having stuff that's going to ruin your gut, it's turning down serotonin production. Yeah. Right. And so just on a hardware side, got rid of shit that was turning down serotonin production. So then I, my body could produce those happiness chemicals more. Well, this is certainly not nearly enough talk in our culture about nutrition. Hopefully, I think we're heading in the right direction, but we got a long ways to go. Right. So that, and that's a great, that, that you've pointed out some important points right there. It's huge. And people don't know that it's literally their food making them sad a lot of the time. And so, and we actually went through and we tested really specifically a lot of different things. Um, so we found that, uh, so for me, alcohol, if I have more than two drinks in a night, I feel totally fine the next day, but the day after that, I've got my anxiety and depression kind of coming back. And there's no way to know that without doing an actual big nutritional overhaul and testing one thing at a time. Um, I find the same thing with uh, a lot of gluten containing grains, whereas white rice on its own doesn't do that. Uh, I find it with edamame beans, which should be super healthy, right? Those will set me off and I'll feel like shit for like four hours and wake up the next day and still not feel great. So just on a hardware side, there's so many things messing with us. Oh, here's another big one. We tested nitrates and nitrites, which are in a lot of processed meats, right? And then, so we tried out this one thing, like it was bacon that was lower quality that had some of this in it. And we would try it. We'd be both be depressed for like two days. And then we found out that there's a bunch of nitrates and nitrites in our water supply here in Huntington Beach. So then we switched off to just a fancier like uh, water store nearby. And holy hell, the difference again in those happiness chemicals was insane. So just on the hardware side, there's so much we can do to start getting this stuff out. Well, I, have to, I have to say what you just said is, um, you know, when I hear in the news, uh, any, any kind of cutbacks in investment in clean air, uh, clean water, mm -hmm. uh, and it's very easy to take that short, uh, short-term uh, look at the bottom line and say, why are we spending money on these things? And the bottom line is, we are what we eat, we are what we drink, and the minute that that pollution is in the things that are essential to live, uh, we're basically like a, a, a chemistry experiment that's likely to go pretty wrong. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, and that's just on the chemical side. That's let alone actually learning and teaching other people how to deal with emotions and how to be vulnerable with each other and you know, have real deep conversations between generations and friends and all that kind of stuff. And I have to imagine that music is, is the serotonin producer that, that just constantly, I mean, I'm, I'm a music promoter. So music for me, Adam makes music. I promote it, make a little myself, but that's gotta be something that's almost constantly a positive force in your life. Yeah, honestly, that was a, it's another weird thing because I never felt that much emotion. I would talk to other like songwriters and things and they would have all this emotion in their music and they would be, you know, obviously the, especially the singer songwriters are a little more volatile with uh, their ups and downs, whether it's, you know, in rehearsal or on stage and things. And I was just like, I don't know what you're doing. Just get your shit together and sing the song. And, <laughs> and I realized uh, last year I was doing a ton of songwriting and I was like, Oh, Oh, emotions come out when you do this. And yeah. so I honestly was much more of like, uh, you know, like, no, I play my instrument and I play it well. And that's how this works. Let's go play the show. Let's go make the money. And then I'm going to go home instead of using it as like an emotional release. 
So I had kind of a flipped perspective on it, um, which I mean, I still enjoyed it. Obviously, I love being on stage. And if I go too long without performing, then I get bummed out again. Um, but and you yourself, I see a couple of guitars back there, banjo, maybe. Oh, yeah, I got a. Oops. Uh oh. <laughs> Sorry about that, Adam. Yeah, all good. Curiosity yeah. killed the cat, and at the moment, it's it's killing the signal. Oh, he's back. Oh, my back. Sorry about that. Oh, good. Oh, you got a couple tellies back there, and a couple. Yeah, I got two tellies. J bases, a P base. Yeah, I got two P bases, one J base. Those are my babies. Nice. Um, yeah, I got two J bases myself. They're so good. So good. I, I'm also seeing the Hank Williams poster. I may be an Italian kid from the Bronx, but boy, do I love my Hank Williams. <laughs> oh, he's good, man. He's so good. That was, was another weird thing. For the first time, man, I was just like in heaven. Yeah. That's another weird thing that I honestly, I don't, I haven't thought about it until just recently again is I used to listen exclusively to the saddest country music I could find. And I'm okay. thinking. And now where's the happy stuff? Is there some good happy stuff? Yeah, honestly, I just listen to podcasts now because it's like good ideas that help get me thinking. But for the longest time, I only wanted to hear stuff about, uh, you know, like the wife and the girlfriend leave. And then like, the guy, you know, there's all, I mean, how sad can you get? There's a lot, of it, you know, um, and I realized now I think I was just trying to feel. But I didn't know that at the time, I just knew that every sad song made me happier for some reason. So. Man, I um, kind of had a musical shift in in myself um, within like the last year or so. But yeah, I, I like to listen to, I would say like either really, really heavy music or really, really light music. And recently I have switched to almost all light music and almost all instrumental music. Um, I've yeah. just really appreciated just the music as a whole without kind of any lyrics. And I think that also lends to towards my perception shift is like, I don't really need anyone else's influence vocally on, on how I experience the music. So like a lot of, you know, Albert's got me into classical music. I've been streaming just a bunch of like, you know, neoclassical and, you know, kind of more um, progressive instrumental music. And I just, you know, fall in love with the journey in there and I kind of don't need anyone else telling me where to go. So I, I've definitely noticed that, you know, perception shift when it comes to musical taste too. Yeah. And it's, interesting to i remember as a kid thinking like oh my god how do these guys listen to that shit you know <laughs> like, and now we're those guys <laughs> yeah right and now that i'm listening yeah i listen to a lot of especially if because my brain's just going so fast sometimes i can't have words like mm -hmm. lyrics just screw with me so i'll have to have like the peaceful instrumental stuff like, or you could you could listen to some beethoven where yeah. not a lot of words but in, intense emotions and almost exclusive, exclusively positive. One of the things I was talking to a friend about the other day was that, you know, Beethoven was someone who did not have an easy life, but he basically did not write depressing music. He never went, he really never went there. Uh, I'm always curious about people who go through tough, tough circumstances, but turn them into uplifting messages. I mean, I'm only mentioning, especially mentioning Beethoven because 2020 is his 250th anniversary. So listen, you better start listening now. Yeah. <laughs> and also instrumental, it. it is. The instrumental music's great. I mean, this what Adam said, I just I just love that I could bring my own my own narrative to it or no narrative if that's that's how I feel. So Rusty, now that we've got you and we've got a couple more minutes, 
left. Is there any anything that we not talked about that you'd like to talk about? Um, honestly, Maybe. overall, I'm like a seriously happy dude now. Like, <laughs> so I just realized, like, yeah, we we dug through a lot of my shit, and I just want to like put it out there that I like I am the happiest and healthiest and most ful- most fulfilled that I've ever been. My wife and I have like a way deeper relationship than we've had. I do actually talk with, I have, I hugged my brother for the first time uh, like two weeks ago. That was, I just forced it on him and he just said, ew, gross and like shrunk. Because <laughs> that's how we, you know, we deal with emotions by like joking about it. Um, older or younger brother? Older. He's two years older than me. Um, I think, no, we hugged, we've hugged once in our adult life and that was 10 years ago and our grandpa died. So. Um, so I was just like, you know what? It's, it's time. <laughs> it took until I moved out of my house to tell my dad that I love him and give him a hug. Um, so, so would you say a lot of your happiness today is based on getting up and doing the work day by day, learning the lesson? Uh, you know, what's, what's your inspiration? Is there a specific inspiration that makes you think, Hey, today's another day and I'm going to, I'm going to be better today. Or is it just kind of built baked into the cake now? Um, as of, I mean, I've been kind of like a personal growth junkie for a while now. So it's like kind of been built into my subconscious that no matter what, let's, okay, what, what can we do today? But that's only been the last few years. Um, so as of now, I mean, it's just consistently working through my brain and my subconscious and then, you know, consistently putting in the good stuff into my head over and over between great podcasts or audio books or good conversations or, <laughs> you know, whatever I can to keep it coming in. Um, and then just trying to have fun and have a good time. I go surfing pretty much every morning and hang out with my wife every day. And I see the sunlight damn near every day. Cause it's, you know, sunny Southern California. Well, I went so. to school out in California and I will say one of the, there's something in the air out there. There's something in the beauty of the place. Also the ocean kind of tends to take you away from all your cares. I mean, especially if you're riding on top of it on a board, I'm so freaking jealous. So there's that California magic. So um, there's, there's something really to be said for it big time. Life shouldn't be too complicated, that's for sure. Right, yeah. And that's- any, any closing thoughts or questions from you? Uh, closing thoughts, you know, um, based on, on what you said, I think we can all just take a page out of your book and really just try to connect more with our family. You know, like I said before, this is, you know, right before Thanksgiving that we're recording this. So, you know, take that kind of opportunity um, Thanksgiving's past, you know, there's some more holidays coming up, but you really don't need a particular big moment or you don't need a death in the family to really reach out to your family. It could just be as simple as, hey, I just want to connect with you more. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I got out of our conversation today. That's great. Right on, Definitely. guys. Well, I'll go yeah, ahead and great to meet you. Maybe, maybe you'll come back and chat with us again down the road. Yeah, I'd love to. And maybe we'll hear your band, or at least maybe I'll hear your band. I'm assuming Adam's heard your band. I've heard, seen a couple of videos on, on Facebook to post oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, Rusty, thank you so much for hopping on our podcast here and sharing a little bit today. We thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a blast. Yeah, very welcome. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer Podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Thanks for listening.